Hi, hello, welcome everyone to the first episode of the series. We are Napier's Feminist Society, formerly Napier's Gender Equality Society, and we're coming to you in true 2020 fashion via Zoom. So apologies if the volume's a little jumpy at times, I will try and fix that up in editing, but who knows. Uh, Bi-weekly, we are exec committee. We're going to give you some more uh, conversation and interesting stuff around our session topics of the month. In September, October, we've been focusing on intersectionality and moving forward into Black History Month, um, raising Black voices and things like that. So first of all, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kaylee, the social media manager of the society, and I'll sort of be chairing this podcast with the wonderful exec. And so, yeah, first, Esther, do you want to next as president? Yeah. Hi, thank you for hosting. Uh, yeah, I'm Esther. I'm president uh, this year of the society. Um, I'm really looking forward to all the things that we have planned and especially the podcast, even though it's all online. Um, yeah, I'm fourth year at Napier, and this is definitely going to be an important part of my last year. Okay, I'll just I'll just uh, continue. Aurora, do you want to go next? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm Aurora. I'm the treasurer. Uh, I'm a fourth year as well, and I've been with the feminist society or the Gensog as it was before. Um, basically, all of my uni term, so I'm really excited to see what's going on this year as well. Hi, um, I'm Cal. I'm the secretary as well as the health and well-being officer. I'm in my second year right now and first year in the committee for FEMSOC, so it's a pretty exciting start. Awesome. Uh, so now that we're all kind of friendly, I'm going to jump in and explain our first topic. Or actually, Callum's going to do that since he did the presentation. <laughs> um, I think we started off with a really strong subject and one that is super important, and that is, of course, intersectional feminism. So, Callum, when you were researching everything, how did you start or where did you think was a good place to start? Well, just kind of mainly it's just researching articles that like uh, wrote about it. So simply just Google intersectionality and a bunch of articles will come up. And like from that you learn from, well, you learn like who the people are, like key figures and other keywords. And then you go from there and search those. It kind of like spools out until. Yeah, so you would say that it's really, it's quite accessible. Yeah, yeah, pretty accessible. Yeah, it's pretty easy to research. Yeah. Was there anything that surprised you or like shocked you about the subject or you thought, oh my God, why haven't I heard of this before? Um, well, researching about uh, black feminism and the history of that, uh, one of the key ones was in the, I think it was in the 1970s, there was a, a kind of epidemic of uh, government, uh, I forget the word, I think it's vasectomies or Mm. sterilization of uh, a yeah. woman of color and that was a huge outbreak and then at the a lot of uh, activists uh, who were black hispanic and uh, native american had to like push hard for like uh, reforms and guidelines on that kind of area and i never heard of 
that before researching it. Yeah, I definitely didn't hear about it until you taught us. So it's really great that you brought that forward. Um, we can open up to Aurora and Esther. What did you guys think of the presentation? This is the time when you can tell Callum your true thoughts. <laughs> I thought it was really, really great. Um, it covered a lot of things, I think. The sort of dis like distinction between white and black feminism and also including uh, talking about the movement for, of womanism. Uh, um, I thought it was a really, it was a really good session and I was happy that you kind of went from like a more foundational at like really introduction level for for a lot of our new members as well and then sort of got more and more uh, complex as as the presentation went on and I think touching on like more more pop culture references as well like we discussed we did talk about sort of the coining of the term of of intersectionality by you know academics and writers um, and Kimberly Crenshaw specifically but also um, more more uh, modern sort of references. I think we discussed a little bit Beyonce and uh, what sort of mainstream feminism and where what how how that plays is what where that where where mainstream feminism plays this in relationship to to uh, the emergence of black feminism. It's really great. I think as well, like in terms of like you mentioning the um, sterilization of of black women as well, like it's a form of sort of eugenic movement kind of sparking uh, a lot of uh, the activism that was that was happening in that time. I was actually reading a book the other, just well, I'm reading it right now, but the, the same issue came up. And um, most of the things that we, that we discuss and when you research is oftentimes very like US based but this was sort of discussing the exact same issue in Bangladesh which was uh, sort of radical Western uh, attempts to like for a population control um, and it said that is difficult for for feminist from the West or like for white feminism to understand that notion like reproductive rights of women or control of women over their own bodies has no meaning for the majority of women in places where it's not like, like for example, in, in Bangladesh. So the, the processes of poverty and underdevelopment there, and quote unquote underdevelopment, uh, have reduced their lives to a margin and narrowly, narrowly above death, and so, so sort of wanting to survive obviously takes precedence to, to the urge for emancipation, which is the very like white feminist view of, uh, the the agenda for women. So comparing that type of like body autonomy, autonomy as sort of a sideline priority maybe when you're when you're not in a super privileged position, I think white feminists can easily make that a, a very strong point that that um like emancipation over everything but then certain ways of getting there might be harming other parts of the female collective 
sorry, went on a bit of a tangent there. No, not at all. It reminded me of the podcast that I shared um, in the FemSoc fam earlier, the Yikes podcast. The episode is called Coronavirus and Ecofascism. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about, ecofascism, all these sort of like extra left, um, extra right wing tactics, but also can be extra left wing tactics as well, thinking that, oh, it's a really great thing to do in these quote unquote underdeveloped countries because it's for quote unquote again the greater good of yeah. climate activism for example um yeah. I remember on Tuesday in our media club we spoke a little bit about what uh, David Attenborough and honestly what I think a lot of um kind of biologists or eco ecologists um think about um, yeah, like the future of ecofascism in that sense. There seems to be, yeah, like you say, like a sort of eugenics vibe around everything, which is super uncomfy. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. It's very like, I, I just thought about it just uh, after what Callum brought up, that that's kind of uh, sort of, of course, these things are what sparked the, um, the distinction of, the black feminist movement from the white feminist movement but it's also very much still a problem like it's not it's not that these movements have now come together in unison and we all understand sex, intersectionality and it's all good uh but these are like very present issues still one uh interesting that i saw uh in my news feed like one or two days before i did the presentation is the whole sterilization is still an ongoing issue now really because i saw in Many of the ice camps on the border of the U.S. Uh, many of the many of the immigrants from like further down from Mexico and South uh, were still, all the Hispanic women were still getting uh, uh, sterilized there in the ice camps, and that was That's, kind of that shocking. Is wild, yeah, that is shocking. Should we just like quickly run back to just like a, a textbook definition maybe of feminism, if we could maybe tell them if you can. What, what you described, just for the listeners that maybe didn't go to the to the session to kind of make sure that we cover the first round. Well, feminism in general or like around... Right no, like intersectional. Oh, sorry, I don't know if I said <laughs> just feminism. I mean intersectional feminism, like intersectionality, like how, how Kimberly Crenshaw kind of defines it. Uh, well, often, uh, she often used the analogy of... Uh, and as it comes from like a intersection of a of a roadway, and so there might be uh, multiple ways of which your identity can be oppressed, and it can be very hard to distinguish which of those uh, identities were the reason you're oppressed. It could be one of them, or it could be both simultaneously. So that would mean that, for example, me as a white woman, I can be oppressed for being a woman, but I will not be, I won't, I won't be discriminated against because, or I won't be subject to racism. Whereas a, a black woman or a black disabled woman or a black disabled trans woman uh, will have multiple intersections of oppression of opp like oppressed identities, and it will, they will uh, combine to, to be quite. In sometimes indistinguishable from each other but also uh, a lot harsher yeah exactly 
Yeah, but I think we had a really, really good discussion, especially after the media club. Like we had good engagement from the members, and I was really happy to hear that it came across. I don't know if people that have um, that are listening now uh, are maybe would like to to um, get engaged in the media club. It's it's not really like it's not. It, it, we call it a media club because it's not a book club because obviously uh, we don't. We don't expect people to read a book every week, but just sharing some some videos and articles so that we can discuss them after. And it was really successful. I think it's great to keep the conversation going. Yeah, I was so proud of how it went and it made me kind of so happy when everyone was saying, you know, according to this article or according to this or whatever. And I thought, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. This is, we chose this stuff and people are actually reading it and engaging with it. So yeah. um, if you're listening from media club then special shout out to you I guess um love that you're all getting involved um it kind of comes into the next question ish I was going to talk about university experience and obviously one of the reasons we did the media club and the podcast and everything else is because so much stuff is online we are all so much more isolated now the university is depending what course you're on and what you're doing it can be quite tumultuous so first of all I really hope that you're doing okay wherever you are and second of all I think this is a good time to maybe highlight or talk about things that we haven't spoken about before so intersectional issues that you experience all the time every day if you take for example the kids in halls at the moment who are being isolated because of whatever reason. You could take a blanket approach to that and look at the students and say, well, if they don't like it, go home. Or if they, you know, you're paying this amount of money, you deserve this, you deserve that. But if you take an intersectional approach and try and support people that way, you'll learn that everyone's identity is different just because they are privileged enough to come to university doesn't mean that they, you know, can afford to live or maybe they don't have caring responsibilities they don't have health conditions that um, are detrimental to their education and blah 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 so on Tuesday we were talking about the sort of educational um, effect on our identities and intersectionality and one thing that I've brought up quite a few times I mean, I bring it up all the time, is my identity as a disabled woman part of me that has to be acknowledged, I guess. I am a disabled woman, but I'm also a disabled white woman. So I acknowledge that I can't, I have oppression in two bands, I suppose, but I've never been oppressed for my race. So I navigated my education in a very specific way um, compared to other people and I don't know has um, this topic made you reflect um, Esther or Aurora like on your education um, and the subject you study? I mean for sure I'll, I'll, I think I'll let Aurora go, go first because I felt like I spoke, spoke a lot in, in the beginning but I will definitely uh, weigh in I have a lot to say on this I mean, I'm studying psychology or sociology, so we've talked about 
like in some sort of like, like intersectionality has been mentioned before but it's not i mean in sociologists you always talk about the intersection of different of class race gender um it's not really as big in psychology so um what what i've noticed especially very often um sexuality is completely left out um we're talking last year we had a course on um, personality and all that and they're just their sexuality is just completely out but apparently according to the lecture it was it's too complicated to bring in um because i don't know why it's too complicated so apparently lgbt people function so differently according to it um i i must admit i have not looked into it so i cannot say anything more but from a personal experience um i've just gotten a diagnosis of adhd and i was just starting to wonder now that ADHD, like just ADHD and autism in general, I know that they are very underdiagnosing women. So I personally started thinking about it already in December, but I'm like, how many people have been struggling with actually having to do online uni at home where you don't have the same accessible, I personally, I need to go to a library and sit down on a laptop. I don't have that at home. So I struggle a lot with actually working online university. Like how many women have not gotten a diagnosis because ADHD, for example, is often misrepresented as hyperactive boys. So there's probably a lot of girls or women who are struggling now who don't even realize it's a thing because of the intersection of you know gender and um, in this case then um, mental health issues or disability. Um, so yeah, I'm not quite sure. I mean there's always I feel I feel like every you always find something, unfortunately, that has been I want to do air quotes, but obviously that's not a video, so air quotes are mis um, overlooked. Yeah. Well. No, thank you for sharing. No, that's totally such a good point. Uh, the mix between gender and mental illness and autism and women. Yeah. Esther, do you want to give your hot takes? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like there's a very big conversation to be had about um, addressing the uh, overwhelming whiteness of science in general. I'm in animal bio and conservation biology, but started out in biological sciences. And even though my particular course now, because it is towards more environmental, it's quite female biased. There's more, there's more women on my course than men, but um, there's also an overwhelming amount of white people like that just the the representation is not it's not really there like it's definitely biased um and i think there are so many aspects of the course that i'm taking that i think is you know that makes it that that are easier and like more or less easy to address that should be addressed and maybe that needs to be really thought about how to address them because there are issues that seem very difficult to solve for example like a lot of our uh, a lot of our practical work on my course, for example, are field work. You're out, you're walking around in dirt on, on rocks, on like slippery, uh, um, uh, like intertidal sand flats. You know, like it, all of these different uh, places that are totally inaccessible to anyone, for example, in a wheelchair, uh, or even with like a, any form of uh, visual or uh, 
um, auditory impairment. Like you, you need to be very. It it I I feel like there's there's definitely there are elements to the course that I'm on that are that really kind of narrows down the type of the 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 people that can actually do it. Um, and obviously you can't change a sand slot the way that it is, but you can probably like you can definitely make make it more accessible in ways of just addressing it as a problem that exists and that we need to discuss because it's never even been brought up. And I think as well, like in terms of lab accessibility, there's uh, instances, I think, not just at Napier, but just in general, like they're uh, generally not made to be accessible for for anyone other than like perfectly able-bodied people. Um, and I think that's a very big issue. There's also obviously the representation problem of like who is getting publicized in research is the same as for social sciences that Aurora's in. Um looking at the looking at the majority of authors of published papers are Western, uh often men, but um, you know, it's just who are you learning from? Who are you getting your information from? Also looking at lectures. Most of my lectures are men as well, white men. Um, there's definitely uh, so many aspects of it that uh, that should be addressed. Yeah, I was going to speak about my sort of like um, reading or who I learned from on my course. It definitely was very old white men, actually. Pretty much every course was whitewashed and even the ones that weren't that were supposed to be more intersectional or quote inclusive they weren't really a couple of oh so I studied English um, I should say so a lot of literature and media um, was like our coursework basically and I think if I had to guess I think about 90% of the media we consumed was made or written by white men the other Ten uh, percent could be split, maybe like eight percent white women, and then two percent people of color. Um, I I couldn't even, you know, even break that down further. Like gender wise, it was that small. But it's the way it's taught as well is quite strange. You could have it's all right to say like, oh, we have this great um, text about colonialism, but if a white person is teaching that to only white people and they're not giving it the same attention that they would another text or they're looking at it from the wrong way then it doesn't help it all, all it does is reinforce the stereotypes and the bias and the yeah just like the ignorance even although they claim not to be racist or imperialist what they're doing in the whole practice just adds to the idea that university and education is kind of elitist and classist and yeah it's just almost like a subtle reinforcement I would say I just want to jump really... in again I just wanted to mention because I mentioned earlier that sociology really looks at like distinctions and intersections um, but I just wanted to uh, just remind, remind me clearly that the majority overwhelming majority of source material is from straight white men um, usually quite old as well, but um, definitely overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly male.
Yeah, 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 for sure. I think it's a, a really um, important point that you're making as well, Kayla, because it's about the intersection of sort of accessibility to education uh, that uh, has got like, that where you know all these identities come together to make it as difficult as possible for anyone who's um, not at the top of of the hierarchy to kind of even to get a, a foothold. I, and it made me think of uh, I was reading a book how to be an anti-racist by Ibram X Kendi and he really put it very well I can't remember now I'm obviously paraphrasing because I didn't memorize the whole book but <laughs> um talking about sort of the myth of a meritocratic system like nothing uh nothing can be purely based on merits when we live in a society that gives everyone different different opportunities to start with so people that have had really well-educated and well-off parents uh, and disproportionately white people then if you compare um especially in the u.s but but uh in all of the sort of western um world like you in in europe as well uh they will be able to get you into a good school and then you will be able to get there so even if you're like your brain intellectually is exactly has the same uh, condition, like got, you've got the same sort of hardware, but you don't have the same social opportunities, like the financial or, you know, like if you're a lower class child, you won't, you will have other things as well that impact your ability to maybe focus in school. So even if you were to get, say, a scholarship to go to a nice school, that could still, that would still put you at comparison with the kids that have not had to worry about other things and have been able to get to that same school with no other worries. So they will have a, a leg up. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know if this makes sense the way that I'm phrasing it, but uh, yeah. the idea of meritocracy, it's also it, like, it, it does not take into account the fact that, um, privilege is to some extent inherited as well so it's a whole generational thing if you've if if your if your parents have had been very privileged and your grandparents have and blah 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 that goes down to you and you you will have access to to much more uh, i think it's like it's, it's one of those things that uh angela davis said in her in her talk uh, about intersectional feminism that white women for example have all the conditions to at least uh, if the, if they're like uh, granted they're not lower class or disabled uh, or otherwise sort of an intersection that puts them in a disadvantage and even, like a worse disadvantage than just being a woman but they're they're able to many are able to at least sort of get up to the glass ceiling you know they they're able to reach it uh, maybe even break it. They can occupy the position that a uh, uh, white man can in our society. Granted, they assimilate to the patriarchal system, but they can do it because they have all of that sort of underlying generational privilege backing it up from being yeah. white. Whereas that's not the case for for many many black women. For yeah, uh, that reminded me of a case that. 
was going on, I think, a couple of years ago. For example, there was um, a young girl who had a heart condition and other disabilities who wanted to go to um, Oxford. And she missed the grades very slightly just because of um, health appointments. And she was late to uh, the Oxford interview because of a health appointment. And instantly she was rejected, despite the fact that if you look away from her health condition and if you looked away from those instances where she quote slipped up when in reality it was she did the best she could in the circumstances at that time um and she fought it and people were saying well why should she get extra help for her health condition when she didn't meet the grades and i think it's pretty obvious to all of us and maybe to other people that well if oxford was more accommodating then she could get in no problem. And it's not, people maybe think like it's, oh, you're dropping the bar to let more under, like less good people in. And that's not the case at all. It's, it's No, exactly. I think that's a really, really good, like that's such a good example to tie to exactly what I said. Like, I think it's it's not about her that specific student not being able to meet the requirements is it's about the whole rest of society not like wanting to reckon with the fact that other factors play into your ability to use your intellect as you could if you were free from all the oppression that comes from one of your identities and i'm not saying like having to have a, a doctor's appointment is <laughs> oppression in itself but the fact that they can't accommodate it is an artifact of it yeah definitely and if you this girl was white I mean and I, I can't remember her financial background but I'm sure if she was a person of colour and um, financially disadvantaged then that's two extra layers two extra intersections that you would have to deal with and then there would probably be even more people saying oh well you're only letting her in because she's a token or she's or you know she's a charity case or whatever which is completely yeah the, the, the big problem of uh, um sort of quotas yeah it's a very very uh controversial issues issue in in within feminism i think there's so many different opinions on whether it's the right way to go or or not definitely so callum you've been pretty quiet um <laughs> do you want to come back do you have any sort of examples or experience on your course where intersectionality has came up or hasn't? I can't, I don't believe so. Do you mean as in we've been taught or came up in a conversation from lectures or just issues in it? Yeah, just like, well, you study computing. So how do you feel like you're being taught or the things you're being taught um, from in like an intersectional stance, do you think that affects your learning in any way? Um, sorry, I'm just gathering my thoughts. Um, I believe uh, when we get taught about like user interface, how like apps look and stuff, often disability and accessibility are the thing we often taught and are made to think about when they're designing products like that. So outside of that, as the most, I believe, uh, 
it comes from in come directly thinking of intersectionality intersectionality during my learning. Yeah. And do you notice your cohort? Is it quite intersectional, or is it like Esther's course where it's mostly white? Um, within the student body, at least an undergraduate, uh, I believe it is mostly white. Mm. I think there's a handful of uh, people of color or anything. Uh, lecturers and like teachers around there, I think it's a lot more, a lot more mixed, a lot more intersections of different types of people. So it's a lot more, uh, a lot more women in the, in the lectures of the modules. So it's, it's mostly white men in the student body. Uh, a, a good amount of uh, uh, female students, but not a whole lot. It's mm. defi definitely a majority of males, whereas in, in the lectures, I feel like you often have a, a, a quite a few uh, female lecturers as well as many uh, international uh, lectures uh, for my uh, modules, often from uh, Asia or like India and Pakistan, that subcontinent. Cool. I mean, that's pretty good. I remember when I was researching um, like the diversity of staff last year and I was quite shocked when, um, I mean, there was so many graphs and as an English student, I get scared of graphs, but <laughs> I decipher it, it was quite shocking the amount of, um, you know, the lack of people of colour and uh, ethnic or any minority and sort of jobs above like assistant level or lecturer level um you know there was they seemed to make it quite a good proud thing that they had so many people of color working um at the university but when you actually look into it it's not at the executive level yeah like 80 percent of them are service you know like canteen or cleaners or yeah whatever so. Yeah, it's a really important point to make. I think that was kind of quite a big. Um, there was a little, a little undercurrent to the sort of BLM um, uh, movement surge this summer. Uh, that was kind of urging the companies to disclose their their employee, sort of their the representation within their employee employee the group of employees. And not just in general, but like specifically at every executive level, just so that could be made really clear that people can say they have, they can literally say that they have perfectly equal, uh, um, equal representation of say, um, white, black, or any or Asian minority ethnic, whatever it is, they could say that they have perfect, perfect balance, but then you, when you, without, without disclosing the levels of it, it doesn't really mean that much. Yeah, I think we've all seen a lot of like performative activism, especially over the summer. And recently it kind of highlights how deep people actually want to care about these sort of things or deal with those. Yeah. Um, I think as well, it's a very important, like it's an important aspect where it really showed, and we discussed this as well in the session, like where the intersection of say race, racism and sexism really, was very evident in terms of the response to uh, George Floyd's 
George Floyd's death and Breonna Taylor's death, not just in terms of sort of which one got most media exposure, but also in terms of what actually happened after. Like when we look at the results from, so like of what has happened now, it's 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 not just it's not just the race problem that's that's made Breonna Taylor's case not be as hard hard fought for as George Floyd's. It's it's the fact that she's both black and a woman. Yeah, and there's so many uh, black trans women as well that have been murdered. Um, yeah that you don't often hear their names because of, again, perhaps that extra inter that extra intersection that's put on top. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, And the thing is that is not even that the fact that it comes up as if it's a new thing as well, as if it's not happening every year, uh, all the time. Um, there's, yeah, um, it's, it's shocking. Yeah, and I think the virus, if you, well, I don't even know if you could like split up 2020 into subplots, but because uh, of how riotous it's been, but the coronavirus, I think, as well, has highlighted a lot of intersectional issues. Um, yeah. Highlighted a lot about class and uh, race and disability, especially, I think, in America, the majority of people that have past with the virus have been people of colour because they, they are um, statistically less able to access healthcare. And um, even if they do, they're also biased against. So yeah. they're, not, they're not getting the same critical care as, as white, white yeah, people. Exactly. They, you could say like, oh, well, if they had money, you could, they can totally go and get healthcare, but it's not that easy to start with. And then of course, if they go into the hospital, it's very unlikely that they will be treated the same as. Um, in the UK, over two thirds of the people with that have had coronavirus and have had pa passed from it have been mm. people with disabilities or underlying health conditions. So it's, and a lot of the people who have been furloughed, uh, even are women, um, single mothers, lower, um, yeah. come from lower income anyway. So it also it, there, there's also been a lot of uh, controversy about the whole like what help people get or like the the furlough money that people get and or I think in the U.S. as well like the getting financial support people were upset that they weren't getting enough money they weren't getting as much as they needed or as they you know and and they were still getting more than than the uh, sort of social financial help that a lot of disabled people in the U.S. get because they're literally not able to work, and they're and, and people are complaining that they're getting more than them, and they're not even mentioning, and they've never even raised the issue yeah. that uh, that's an inhumane sort of sum of money to expect uh, anyone, let alone a disabled person that also has uh, oftentimes have more uh, sort of expenses. Uh, than, than, than other people to survive on. Yeah, I know in the UK anyway, the I can't remember the furlough payment, but on average it was around about, say about £100 a week. Um, mm. 
and people thought this was outrageous you know how can you live on this and disabled people have been living on 45 to 60 pound a week since 2010 and whenever this is brought up people say well this is this is a disabled issue and put it to the side it's only recently that people have maybe realized like oh no actually the extent to which yeah yeah it's I mean one anyone could become disabled tomorrow and disability affects um, any race any gender any sexuality so having an intersectional view and realizing that these things intersect are really important again as I say if someone in the UK with a disability yes we don't have to pay for healthcare, so I guess we're quote privileged in that way but black people are not treated the same in hospitals here so much harder to get housing um, healthcare and about 80 different things on top of that so yeah if you took anything from if we take anything from this uh, episode tonight or even in our recent learnings I think it's definitely to have a more intersectional view in absolutely everything that goes on around us I think it would really yeah yeah it's absolutely I mean I would argue like absolutely imperative I don't think there's I think I mentioned this as well in the, the um in our session and just in the discussion part that I think there's there's no way as either that even white women can can get to the point of of full equality without without also fighting for the equality of all all other in- intersections so because because any any other sort of success for that that only is counts as sort of quote unquote success that if it only counts for white women then that means that uh, it's been assimilation has happened <laughs> and it, it's just about sort of learning to play the game within the patriarchy rather than changing the fundamental structure so there's always going to be losses there anyway exactly so yeah Aurora Callum do you have any more sort of like final thoughts on the issue I say final as if the as if we've solved the problem we really haven't we've only sort of crack the egg but um any sort of final thoughts you want to finish off with i don't think i have anything to add really personally um i think we've summarized like done a pretty good job of that <laughs> okay well thank you that's the backup that we that i needed to <laughs> i wrote as the cheerleader i suppose I mean, ideally, hopefully, people can maybe uh, people feel comfortable commenting as well. I mean, uh, this will be up on Spotify, but you can also comment on our our Instagram pages or Facebook pages on what you what you thought. If you have any more points to raise, we can always address any questions in the next episode. Yeah, that would be cool, like a Q and A section. <laughs> yeah. All right. Will we finish up here? This yeah. Is, I'm going to say, good. like, doing a Zoom podcast is probably one of the strangest things. Oh, my God. Yeah. It took a little while to sort of get into it, I have to admit. Yeah. So, uh, apologies if it's audibly been kind of rough, kind of jumpy, but hopefully we'll get into the swing of things. And who knows? Maybe in a couple of months we'll actually be doing it in person. Although I hope oh, we'll so. sooner. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, God, please. Yeah. 
All right, well, um, our next session will be, do you want to just quickly introduce it? Yes, so next Tuesday, the 6th question mark of October at 7, we're going to have a session on Scotland shame. So basically talking about misogyny, homophobia and racism in Scottish history and sort of more recent history in Scottish culture and how the yeah these things actually kind of rely or how Scotland kind of relies on these things to build up their image and talking a little bit more about how that affects the Scottish independence debate which you all know I love to talk about so yeah mm -hmm. it'll be fun if you're a Scottish student or if you're an international one like there's something for everyone to learn definitely amazing well, all the information about that will be on the event on the Facebook page and we'll obviously put it on Instagram as well. So just keep a look at it. Yep. And we'll see you or hear you in the next one. Everyone say bye. Bye. Bye.